Good morning. Our scripture today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 5 through 13, if you want to turn there. Let's pay attention as I read God's word this morning. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A, A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not give up, get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of the shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Amen. Thanks be to God. This is his holy word. Uh, Two weeks ago, I asked the folks in our young adults group to pray for me about something very specific. As you may know, we just hired a new person to become our part-time director of traditional music, Tom Burdos, and he'll be starting right after Easter. But we're also looking for a full-time person to lead our contemporary worship teams. Well, I had an interview scheduled with a great guy who had all the qualifications that we were looking for. Came highly recommended. Seemed like just a perfect fit. So I asked the young adults to pray that we discern God's will and things would just go smoothly. I mean, I thought it was a slam dunk. That's what I wanted. And, And so they prayed. And the next day, I got a crystal clear answer. Five minutes before the interview, the guy sent me a text saying he wasn't coming and he just didn't feel called to our position. Well, I got my clear answer, but the answer was no. So I went back to the young adults and I said, stop praying, you're messing me up. You know, honestly, isn't that how we often treat prayer? It's just a means to an end, just a way of getting God to do what we want. I sort of forgot that I had asked them to pray for two things. First, that we would discern God's will for the situation, and second, that I would get the easy answer that I wanted. It turns out the first request canceled out the second. We did discern God's will, but it wasn't what I had wanted, and that left me with a problem. I had to get my will, my emotions, my attitude to line up with God's will. I had to deal with my sense of disappointment and frustration and to summon up the energy to keep on praying and keep on trusting. And that's exactly what Jesus tells the disciples that they need to do when it comes to prayer. And us too. Keep on praying. This little parable from Luke 11 about the obnoxious neighbor, you know, follows right on the heels of when the disciples came to Jesus with the request, teach us to pray. And in response, Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer as a model or a pattern for their prayers. And then Jesus tells this little parable. And it's kind of an odd story to tell right after giving the Lord's Prayer because it's not a parable about what to pray for. It's about the attitude Jesus wants us to bring to our praying. An attitude of persistence, of of perseverance, 
of expectancy. The story is a good example of how Jesus used hyperbole, exaggerated comparison, in almost a comical way to surprise people with the truth of who God is. Jesus paints a word picture that's really supposed to be a little funny, a guy pounding on his friend's door in the middle of the night. The neighbor wakes up, he's disoriented, you know, where's the fire? I mean, it had to be some kind of an emergency to roust him out of his warm bed at that hour. The homeowner, you know, he's in his jammies, he's looking out the window, sees the guy on the front porch in a panic. You know, what's going on? Uh, what's so important? You have late night guests, your, your refrigerator's empty, you need bread? Well, bake your own stinking bread. You know, it's the middle of the night for crying out loud. But the guy keeps pounding on the door and finally the homeowner gives in, not out of any compassion for the other guy's situation, but only because the guy is so annoying and so obnoxious that it's easier just to give him what he wants so the homeowner can go back to bed. And then Jesus says, your Abba Father is nothing like that. In fact, he's the total opposite of this reluctant homeowner. God is not holding back on answering your prayers. He's not inconvenienced or irritated by your requests. He's not sending away empty-handed or, or just reluctantly giving in to your demands. He's not responding to you just because you know, you're the squeaky wheel that just won't stop squeaking. Jesus wants his followers to imitate the man's persistence, but not because God is reluctant to open the door. You see, there are two things I want us to get out of this story this morning. When we pray for others, when we pray intercessory prayers, God is doing something to us, and God is doing something through us. To us and through us. And both of these movements of God require persistence on our part in our praying. God is always doing something in us, even when he delays in answering our prayers. He's doing something in us, the one who is praying, when we keep on praying. In this parable, the man is not asking for something for himself. He's asking for another, his guest, who has traveled far and, you know, is hungry. You know, there's no Burger King open till 2 a.m., no 7-Eleven on the corner, and so the man goes to next door seeking food for his guests, and he will not give up. He's not about to knock once and then kind of slink away with his tail between his legs. He is bold and persistent, and Jesus praises that kind of attitude when we pray. A few years ago when I did a sermon series on prayer, we handed out these little refrigerator magnets with the word push on them, meaning pray until something happens. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. That's the attitude that he wants when you're praying for others Pray until something happens. Don't give up. You've got to keep going. And then Jesus gives those great words of encouragement in verses 9 and 10. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. Now I believe Jesus' words about prayer. But I have to be honest with you and say that I struggle a bit with prayer, especially intercessory prayer, you know, where we're praying for specific things for people and their, their specific needs or requests. I struggle with just how does this whole prayer thing work? I mean, when we ask God to intervene in our own lives or in the lives of others, I mean, what power does prayer 
really have in those critical situations? Why is it that God wants us to pray for others when he already knows every need? One of my favorite Christian authors is Philip Yancey because he's not afraid to go after these kinds of tough questions of faith you know, with real honesty and tenacity, like his, like his book on suffering, Where is God When It Hurts? Or his book on unanswered prayer called Disappointment with God. Or even his fresh take on the life of Jesus called The Jesus I Never Knew. All great books, all written very well, honest reflections on some of the toughest questions about faith in the real world. Well, he wrote another book called Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? And he explores some of the harder questions about intercessory prayer. Yancey tells the story of a young American soldier in Iraq who learns that his wife back home has has advanced cervical cancer. And the doctors have given a bleak prognosis. And in desperation, the soldier sent an urgent email to his church with the request that everyone in turn forward his email request to every praying person that they knew. The email said, pray and forward. It only takes a second to hit forward. Please don't delete this. Your prayer can perhaps uh, your your prayer can and perhaps will save her life. Please pray and ask everyone you know to pray for the healing of Cindy, removal of her cancer, and that all that life has to offer her, and to continue to be the mo- wonderful mother to our five-year-old son. And y- and Yancy asks this question: Does prayer really operate like a pyramid scheme? The more people who pray, the more likely the answer. Does a sick woman with, who happens to have a lot of praying friends stand a better chance of recovery than an equally deserving person who maybe has fewer friends? Why is it that God invites us to pray for ourselves and for the needs of others? And, and what is supposed to happen when people pray prayers of intercession? I'm not sure I can completely answer those questions this morning. But here's kind of what God laid on my heart. Let's talk about, for a second, just the meaning of intercession. Intercession means you put yourself between two other parties, one with a need and the other with the answer. And the intercessor tries to bring those two parties together. The intercessor pleads the case of the person with the need. One of the clearest examples of an intercessor was Moses in the Old Testament. You may remember Moses led the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt and they were on their way to their new land that God was shaping them to be ready for, a new people called Israel. And Moses often left the people to go into the mountains to to meet with God and receive God's instructions for the Israelites, including the Ten Commandments and the law. And once when Moses was on the mountain with God, a rebellion was taking place in the valley below. Moses was gone so long the children of Israel were starting to panic thought maybe he wasn't coming back. And they began to doubt God's presence and power. So in Exodus 32, we're told they pressured Aaron, Moses' right-hand man, into making a a golden idol that they could worship instead of Yahweh. But Moses did return. Right in the middle of the people worshiping their new idol, Moses was so angry he broke the tablets of the law. And Moses called on the people to make a choice and asked all of those who would continue to kind of come over those who would continue to follow the Lord come over to his side. And then civil war broke out. The sons of Levi, who were loyal to Moses, killed some 3,000 people. The next day, Moses again went up the mountain to intercede on behalf of the people of Israel. 
In Exodus 32, 30, Moses says to the people, You have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Moses assumes the position of an intercessor when he says, I will go up to the Lord and make specific purpose uh, with a specific purpose of making atonement. Moses pleads with God to, to cover the sins of Israel so fellowship can be restored. Moses puts himself squarely between the two parties, one with the need and one with the answer. And he seeks to bring them together. That's what an intercessor does. And in this way, Moses was a preview of what the Messiah Jesus would do. Speaking in God's voice, the prophet Isaiah said of this coming Messiah in Isaiah 53, 12, I will give him a portion of the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of man, and made intercession for the transgressors. The Messiah would be an intercessor. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus fulfilling that role, bearing our sin, interceding on our behalf with the Father. We see this throughout the ministry of Jesus, but especially in his high priestly prayer in John 17, where he intercedes for his disciples before the Father. Intercession is the ministry that Jesus is now exercising on our behalf. Right now, he continues to intercede for us, Romans 8, 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, he is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Hebrews 7, 25. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. When the Bible calls us to pray for others, it is actually calling us to imitate Jesus and to join him in this ministry of intercession. Our ministry of intercession, our ministry of prayer, is made possible only because of Jesus' ministry of intercession. By ourselves, friends, we have no entree to the courts of heaven. We are given the privilege of praying for others because our lives are joined with Christ. And his main job is intercession on our behalf. And that's why when we pray... We pray in Jesus' name because his name is the only name that counts. So when we pray for others, God is doing something to us. He's making us more and more like Jesus. He's bringing change to us while we're praying for others. You see, the underlying purpose of all prayer is to get us in line with God's will. Prayer is about us turning into, tuning into what God is doing, like, like tuning into your radio station in your car to, to get the strongest signal. You know, you had to adjust the dials to, to find it. It's like finding a, a good Wi-Fi hotspot so that your phone can connect with the Internet. You want to be in the spot where the signal is the strongest. If you and I are praying for someone else, the main focus of the intercessor is finding and cooperating with the will of God. You know, sometimes we approach prayer as though we're trying to push God into handling a situation in the way that we see it should be handled. True intercession is the desire to see the object of our prayers just come closer into closer fellowship with God by whatever circumstances God decides is best. The world's greatest intercessory prayer was the one Jesus prayed in John 17 for his disciples and all those in the future who would believe. In that prayer, Jesus prayed, I do not pray for these alone, 
the disciples who were with him, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, and I are in, in me and I am in you, that they also may be one in us, that, you would, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus prayed that God's purposes would be accomplished in the lives of the disciples. He didn't pray for their safety. He didn't pray for their happiness or their health. He prayed that they would stay intimately connected with the Father, that they would be able to accomplish all that God had called them to do. Philip Yancey writes, Crudely put, I once envisioned intercession as bringing requests to God that God may not have thought of, and then talking God into granting them. See, we're all quick to do that, jump into prayer with our own strong ideas of what should or shouldn't happen. But the truth is, is that when we enter into intercession for another person, we're seeking God's will to be accomplished in their lives, and that God will draw that person into a closer and more useful relationship with him. And once we have that mindset, then we are free to pray specifically for healing and for things that you know, keep people up at night, for family problems and world events. We are to pray for our church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to pray for our enemies, pray for the people who don't yet know Christ, pray for our country, and, and boy, do we need that now. And in all those specific requests, we always add to your prayer that the person would experience a closer relationship with God and that Christ would be glorified in some way. Being an intercessor is Christ-like work, so never take it for granted. Now, Sometimes God delays in answering our prayers because he's doing something in the heart of the prayer. R.A. Torrey writes, God yields to the persistent cries of of his children, and gives the things that he longs to give them all the time, but which would not be wise to give, would not be for the person's own good to give, unless they were trained to that persevering faith that will not take no for an answer. God's delays are not God's denials. It may be God is doing something in you, the prayer, that requires you to learn persistence in prayer. And God is working through you when you pray for others. While you are praying with someone else for whatever reason, you're also inviting God's presence into that moment. And regardless of the future answer, God is at work in that very moment of prayer. Let me tell just one quick story to illustrate what I mean. About 15 years ago, my mom was dying of brain cancer. No more chemo, just radiation therapy to manage the pain. Because of the treatment, my mom had lost all of her hair, and she just wanted to stay in her own home. And so we were all taking turns being with her so that she could stay in her own house and be under hospice care. And one day while I was with her, the hospice nurse came to see my mom. Her name was Betty, and they had developed a, a good friendship. She was a wonderful Christian woman, and, and her nursing was sort of a gentle expression of her love for Christ. At the end of her visit, we held hands around the kitchen table, and Betty prayed. She interceded for us. I don't even remember what she prayed for, but she prayed, and when she finished, she leaned over and gave my mom just a gentle little kiss on the top of her bald head, and it left a little lipstick imprint. And in that moment, we all just knew God was there. There was just a sense of, of peace and safety and love, a sense that my mom was going to be okay in the hands of her loving Heavenly Father, in that moment of intercession, 
God worked through Nurse Betty. And I wouldn't trade that moment for all the money in the world. God may give you moments like that when you intercede for others in prayer. God does something to you and God does something through you when you intercede for others. When you persist in praying. When you join Jesus in this ministry of intercession. Now I don't understand exactly how prayer works. I don't. I only know that Christ wants us to pray and he wants us not to give up. So pray for others this week. Make a list of your intercessory prayers. Pray pray for our nation. Pray for our world. Pray for your church. Pray with the desire that God's will would really be done in every situation. Pray realizing that, you know, we don't have all the information. We don't always see the big picture. And so we always pray with the realization that God knows better than we do. And in your praying, I hope you'll pray for that new contemporary music director. Because I don't know who it's going to be, but God does. And maybe he's waiting to see how earnestly, how persistently, we as a church will pray together. Let's do that now. Lord, we do thank you that you invite us to join you in this ministry of intercession. That you invite us to be persistent, even obnoxious, in our prayers. Believing wholeheartedly that you do hear us and that you do respond. Thank you, Lord, that you're working in us while we pray. And you're working through us as we pray for others. Help us, Lord, to touch the lives of so many people just with our compassionate intercessory prayers. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.